0: Every leader has a strategy. Executing on that
1: strategy is the challenge. If you want to learn how to effectively achieve what you've set out to accomplish, then this show is for you. Gain keen insights and listen in as leaders share their stories and challenges. Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation welcome you to Leader Dialogue Radio.
2: Hello, thanks for joining us. I'm Duffy Dixon with Business Radio X. Joining me, as always, are the people behind Soar Vision Group, the CEO, Ben Sawyer, and COO, Jennifer Strahan. And uh, we're going to talk this week about something you recently attended in Grand Rapids, an innovation hub. And this sounds really interesting. This is sort of where people are figuring out how to, you know, make the wheel better. I mean, tell me what this was.
0: Right, so... Roger Spoolman, who is the Senior Vice President of Innovation and Strategy for Trinity Health, which is a very large health system here in the United States, they have about 94 hospitals. They do in the neighborhood of uh, 20 billion annually, so they're, wow. a, big, they're a big system. Um, and one of the things that they've been concerned about, just like all health systems, is how do we do more with less? And really, that centers in on innovation, which uh, comes right into human-centered design. And they needed to figure out um, how to take uh, a standard primary care practice. In this particular instance, you're going to hear a video in a minute. that is constrained by space inefficiencies and staffing inefficiencies, and the average primary care provider can see maybe 2,500 patients annually. Um, So if they were able to really crank up that engine and be able to have them see twice or even three times that amount, imagine the impact. But the human factor variables are, they would have to do that and actually cause less work for the physician, which is counterintuitive but it has to do with how do you team, how do you manage the space, how do you manage all the variables that you can manage. And you've heard us say on the show, it's all about under what circumstances could we. So that's kind of how this works. You you and we'll talk about that that process. But what the listeners will hear is a video of this innovation hub describing what they did and then Jennifer and I will take that apart and talk about the significance of innovation, not just in healthcare, but in any industry.
2: Okay, let's go ahead and listen.
3: In healthcare, we are so in love with our own way of doing things, and innovation, is what is driving other businesses and we are so far behind.
0: We kind of had some set rules and everyone was a
4: follower. You know, those are the rules, this is what we're going to do.
5: We didn't have the technology that allowed us to be transparent with our patients and engage them maximally.
4: We had super tall barriers and cubicles between the staff and it was really kind of hard to communicate with each other.
3: The culture has to change in, in healthcare care because In the past, we've been so top down in terms of introducing new ideas and new methods. Innovation really takes us into a whole new area and it allows us to try new things. When you think about transforming healthcare,
5: there's lots of opportunities and methodologies and approaches to do that. But at the end of the day, what makes healthcare healthcare is the human
3: being. When I think of human-centered design, I think of approaching healthcare from the perspective of the individual. This is very different from the way healthcare has been approached before or has has approached problems. In fact, as I understand it, the business of healthcare started with not what can we cure or what can we fix, but what can we treat. Human-centered design and innovation takes healthcare to a whole different level because it says you want to be healthier, you want to be in control of your healthcare, how can we help you do that?
5: I see the Baldrige Strategic Execution Methodology really connecting to human-centered design because they're both disciplined and they're both focused on results. So going through the design process, it uh, really was a fun experience. It was great having all the team members involved,
1: having real patients come in.
0: It was really exciting to just have a room filled with so many people passionate about the same thing.
1: We prototype for Innovative Primary Care in a couple different ways. Um, We actually have a third floor of our innovation hub in downtown Grand Rapids, which is 5,000 square feet of prototyping space. And it's really cool because we're actually able to lay out the practice and parts and pieces and kind of have people come and walk through, clinicians and physicians from all over um, the US and give us their feedback.
3: Three years ago, we had the opportunity to create this innovation hub and to put a stake in the ground and to say, from this point
1: on, we are going to be an organization that thinks differently about problems. We've taken a space that was a 130 year old building, an industrial space, wide open, and we've transformed it into uh, the primary care office of the future. So the theme for IPC for transforming aesthetics was really having a space that didn't look and feel clinical, really designed to be more of a healing space. The biggest change I've experienced as a provider at
5: IPC is that uh, I can share my experiences with my patients um, and be more free to to deal with them as humans.
4: Our team culture has changed since we opened the practice just by having a new environment where our team room, we can see everybody. We have um, lighting in place where we can acknowledge Who's behind? Who's on time? How can I help somebody else on my team?
1: It's a very open dialogue, so we don't have to always instant message or email to wait for responses, which could be maybe a day later. Um, sometimes that can affect patient care.
0: Now, it's as simple as they turn their chair around and if they see me sitting there, they can ask me a question. I mean, we're all in the same space. We're kind of all in it together. Everybody is involved in decision making, um, from the front you know, desk people, to the medical assistants,
2: to the nurses.
5: We have uh, our visual imagery and visual management set up that they can keep track of things on a daily basis, an hourly basis, and see how each
1: team member works. We'll draw your blood right in the room, do all your vitals in the room, so you don't have to travel or go out of your way. We can run all your lab results here. So if you do you want to know something pretty fast, we probably can get those results to you, so you don't have to go home and worry about that.
5: Uh, the patients have reacted in just a fabulous way. They, uh, I don't think there's a, a component that they don't like from the exam chairs, the layout of the exam room, the imagery on the walls transparent notes the ability to have their labs drawn and the results uh, given to them at the same
1: time as their visit so the rest of the spaces are really important because you know one of the problems we were really trying to solve was physician um, clinician and team burnout and occasionally people say how can our organization get started uh, in innovation and
3: changing our culture and and first of all you have to assess your culture and then start small bring in some speakers that can encourage you to think differently and set up a small area where it's sort of an innovation zone. It's a safe zone. It's a place for people to, to, do, to try experiments and uh, there are no consequences to failing. Talk about what is it that our patients need that we're not able to give to them right now.
5: We've created a new culture which is really engaged around a common purpose of having people-centered care. When you walk in, you feel something different. People act different. So the inspiration that the Innovative Primary Care has brought to myself and my team is that healthcare can be fun to deliver, it can be engaging with the patients, we can see better outcomes, um, and we can help our colleagues uh, both within our community, but you know I think in primary care in general across the country.
3: As a leader, if you want to have a culture of innovation in your organization, you cannot delegate this. You're going to have to lead the way. You're going to have to be the champion for innovation in your culture, in your organization, you're going to have to lead.
2: That was so interesting because with the visual, and we're gonna include a link so people can watch this video, but this is something, instead of just changing how people did things, they really went in and changed how everything looks, mm-hmm. where people are placed. What was your reaction to this? I mean, you saw it firsthand.
0: Yeah, so when we went up there, I mean, it, it's, so impressive. First of all, the office is very welcoming, um, very airy. When you go into the team room, there's not the clutter of desks and walls where they can't see each other. They can all see each other. They have a light cue system, so you can quickly look to see if a team is behind, if they're either amber or red. The other teams can jump in and help them. Um, everything in every room is exactly the same and it's all designed for maximizing the patient experience they have rooms for staff to be able to take a break Um, jennifer what were some of your impressions
4: yeah so i think one of the most interesting things to me is that when we think about innovation we often forget about how the structural components hinder innovation or support innovation and when i say structural i think there's that's twofold it's both operational as well as physical and so a lot of times we get stuck in well this is the space we have there's nothing we can do about it but there are things you can do like the light system to say hey i'm behind so if you're ahead come help me out and then we can all get home one time and it's a win-win for everyone or it could be i may not be able to take down this wall but we can create visual management cues and so they've been able to really optimize both of those because in this instance they did have the the um the flexibility to be out they were in the process of innovating a space regardless and it's actually interesting because they call it innovative primary care clinic so it's literally a part of their name in what they do yeah. i think i think what i
2: was impressed by and and since you saw it you may be able to explain this better but the idea that and and let's all think when we go to the primary care doctor a lot of times Actually, I have an appointment coming up, so <laughs> you, you go in and and you know they want blood work and sometimes they want other tests run and usually that means go get it done somewhere else, come back, we'll get the results, then we'll re meet. I mean, there's a, it's not always mm-hmm. immediate. That sounds like they can do a lot of that or all of that in this one setting, right? Yeah. They- so
0: so let me explain uh, and go ahead and comment though first, Jennifer. Well, I was
4: just gonna say that they actually they integrated the lab into the practice so that if you come in, you don't have to wait on results for the majority of anything as long as they can actually run the test that quickly so that you have results before you go home.
0: Wow. So for the audience and for you all, it, it's, it's good to sort of back up and explain how they got here. Right. So first of all, innovation in any established industry is difficult because budgets rule and innovation is messy work and you don't know what the outcome's gonna be. I mean imagine if someone was managing Alexander Graham Bell that way and said, Hey, you get three tries.
2: Yeah. And then you're done.
0: Right? <laughs> like Well,
2: we'd be sitting in the dark right now. Exactly. <laughs> or no, we wouldn't have phones. I'm sorry. So I'm confusing my
0: so innovation is very much a part of the American culture and actually the worldwide culture of business, but it's not particularly well protected. So there's a there's a quote that says success is on the far side of failure. And what that means is you have to try stuff out. And so in healthcare you have to be able to create innovation zones that basically provide safety to try stuff out. So so Mercy Health figured out how to do this. And they decided to innovate with other organizations. So they they went into one big building together. And within that building is Steelcase and Herman Miller and Amway and uh, Wolverine Worldwide and some other companies. And it's all these designers that are in the same place. And the space is designed so that they essentially have uh, controlled collisions. Uh, within the building to be able to say, hey, what are you working on? Well, this is what I'm working on. And there's all this kind of interactive stuff. They have space to be able to design. So they created a zone, right? They created an innovation zone. Then they can do something really unique, which is if we're trying to solve a problem, in this case for a patient, what is that patient really looking for? So they started to do, in human-centered design, uh, user profiles. And, Jennifer, maybe you could take it from there and kind of explain to the listening audience sort of where they went with this.
4: Right, so what what's interesting is, again, it's across any industry, right? So starting out, we say, just to pick on healthcare, we are patient-centered all the time. But if you walk into your physician clinic or you walk into the hospital and you ask someone, hey, do you feel like we center everything around you? You probably wouldn't get the response that we would want someone to say. Right. Right. And in business, we get stuck in that trap a bit, too. And so this is, again, across any industry where it comes back to not only looking at your your patient, your customer, whoever your end user of your product or service is, but your employee and all of your team members who come together so if you notice they talked about two different components they really tried to integrate into this this specific design for the clinic and that was they wanted a healing space and they wanted a team space and so that means that they had to look at those user profiles for both components around their team members the people who were in and out and interacting with that clinic which also incorporates the community At large, not just the actual patients coming in, but those individuals such as the lab, right? How do you integrate things that are a part of the patient's care outside of just what happens typically in our four walls? And so thinking about what makes sense to you, what do you really want, and that's where, if you guys recall from one of our very early shows, we talked about the Kano analysis and Kano model, where you start to say, based on each of those users or each of those individual stakeholders involved in that process, hey, what are the basic expectations that you, if you don't get this, you're not going to come to us? What are those things that really separate us from others, those performance needs? And hey, what are those things you don't even think you want, but they're a delighter when you get them? And then I would actually add the one thing we miss the most often and is really a a black hole in differences. Where are we spending time and money on efforts that they frankly don't care about? So those are the components that you start to think about. And then you have to come back and say, now we've got the voice, so to speak, of each of these stakeholders. How do we balance all of those together to be able to deliver what will actually make the most sense for our, our patient or our customer?
0: So what's interesting with innovation is you can only innovate if you're asking questions. Right. So that's what Jennifer was just talking about. So And once you start asking questions you'll be surprised what you find out. Like, one of the things they found out is it really made a difference to people that there was a number one restroom and a number two restroom. (laughs) Really? Yeah, because people would leave the area. Like, employees would leave the area because they they have to go number two, and they don't want to do it in a confined space. Who, knew, Who to knew? ask the
2: question. Who knew? To ask? Now, 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 I want that everywhere I go. Do you see? What, do you see
0: what I mean? I mean, the but point. That,
2: but they were asking questions, and that uh, came up. That
0: just came up, and and you you think, well, that's a delighter. Yeah, actually, if people feel really comfortable and they can just quickly and efficiently take care of business and get back to business. It's a good thing, right? So
2: that's a new slogan I, for a business. I, no pun intended. Okay. <laughs> Jennifer is losing it over here.
0: <laughs> so, so my point is in giving that example is no stone was left unturned. So that what they did is user profiles for the patients, where they created, you know, this is a patient. They had them come through. They created a pseudo um, uh, location within their building. Right. Um, they had staff. Uh, also, that they that they were test, you know, that they came through and said, so what works for you, what doesn't work for you, and basically what they were they were asking themselves is, how can we take these people up to the full extent of their license? Like, how can a medical assistant function at the highest level, or an LPN, or a nurse, or or a mid-level like nurse practitioner or physician assistant, and how do we create this environment for them to? maximize their performance maximize the patient experience all that sort of thing
2: and it seemed like uh, i loved the interviews with the people who and they said things that i think you hear in every business one of the things was we feel we feel like we can't communicate because we Mm -hmm. have high walls and we're in little cubicles Mm -hmm. um you know they said we would like to be able to communicate we would like a spot where we can go discuss things and we feel safe to ask questions. I mean, those, not that safe space. (laughs) Um, But I thought these were things that in all businesses,
4: employees, and you could tell by the way they were talking, that that helped them do their jobs better. Right. That's actually part of the structure, right? So I was just mentioning that structure actually, again, it either drives innovation or it restrains innovation. And so we don't think about it, but cubicles and walls, it creates a natural barrier. And sometimes we just don't want to talk to people. So when you take that away and it forces you to have to talk to people and to have to be able to connect, that doesn't mean you don't need quiet time to just get thinking done. Uh, but figuring out again, what's the function of the space and then how do you account for that in the design around it as opposed to taking the walls we have and then trying to create a function around it. Is healthcare considered collaborative? I mean, f- for the people working in healthcare, working in a primary care physician's office, is that something that. We say so. There's opportunity, right? And I think some of the the high-performing organizations, they really have figured out that collaborative care. Uh, the trick is just like in any industry, to miss where it doesn't become a, cl- a buzzword, but it actually becomes a true way of performance and how we do what we do.
0: Yeah, so let me take that apart a little bit. So the attitude of healthcare workers generally is collaborative. Definitely. It doesn't mean that the environment allows them to be maximally collaborative, okay, right? right? There is a big difference. And so I just to connect the audience back to th- other things we've talked about before, we had talked about leadership, and you remember the four P's? So the first P was, are we aligned on priorities? The second P is, are we aligned on people? Meaning, have we created clarity of roles and things that they need to do to be make sure they can maximally succeed. The third P is process. Are there inefficiencies and or waste and or whatever that are blocking them from being successful? And the fourth P is place. So when we walk into a hospital, and this, this is a true story, and you see a case manager sitting next to another one, they each have approximately a 16-inch desk. They're on the backside of a, a clinical documentation area, this case manager is trying to have an external phone call about something very patient-sensitive, right? The place is wrong, like right? bad bad place idea. You, so you're going to have a compromisation of their ability to collaborate and actually do good work because place, as one of the four Ps, is actually compromised. So the idea behind innovation is There are no walls, there are no limitations. You figure it out. Under what circumstances could we? So that's what they did. They were like, hey, anything's a variable. The only variables are we can't ask the physician to work harder and we can't have patient safety or quality go down, they have to go up. So they had metrics that were the guides, right? But as long as that happened, knock yourself out.
4: So just to bring this back, because I think this is relevant for our listeners, is if we recall, when we look at those seven categories of Baldrige, innovation actually hits, if not everyone, almost every single one of them. And that talks about how do you embed that innovative way of thinking into our practice and just the way we approach everything we're doing. That is relevant for small business small mom-and-pop shops, that's relevant for large organizations, and making sure that innovation is actually improving our processes and not becoming a barrier in and of itself. Well, and, and it's
2: not just change for the sake of change. Exactly. Uh, you know, you can be in a business and they get a consultant who comes in and says, let's shake it all up and do it in a different way. Well, if that's not improving upon what you're doing and it is truly not innovative, because shouldn't the result of innovation be, as you said, better, better. care a better working environment, mm-hmm. everything.
4: And I would even add, though, the ability to quickly recognize when it doesn't, because part of innovation is failure. And so you have to create back to that safe environment. You have to create an area in which people feel comfortable saying, hey, what can we try? And what's the implication of this? And being able to think about what's our risk if we were to pilot this, how quickly could we pull the plug if it doesn't work, versus just make a few tweaks Uh, In in recognizing the trade-offs of when you actually do that, because there's trade-offs in everything we do.
0: So as Roger Spoolman said in the video, and I encourage the listeners to watch that, is you have to create a safe innovation zone. And basically what he did when they created this is they went to the operators within their health system and said, you now have a new place to work. Anytime you want to come over and innovate with us, you don't have to have an appointment, you don't have to have an agenda, just come we'll We'll you know, give you coffee and 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 get you something to eat. And then we're gonna have a really interesting conversation about what it is you're facing and basically how to be able to address that. So so innovation is really um, uh, something that unlocks potential. It unlocks people's potential. It unlocks organization potential. It unlocks, yeah, financial performance potential. And so it's something that really needs to be um, prioritized and valued within organizations.
4: Yeah, the other thing I really like that Roger mentioned was that uh, you can't delegate leadership. Right. And so in the midst of that, he talked about how traditionally a lot of innovation tends to be top-down ideas that tend to be introduced to the front line. Instead, there has to be that leadership level to say, hey, we trust you to innovate we will empower you to innovate and we will let you fall and or fix things as things come up
0: Yeah, that's a really important point um, innovation is probably one of the most empowering things we can do for people because by its very nature it's not structured non-standard and so what you're doing is you're giving people the opportunity to go figure it out go take the best that you have your insight, your knowledge, your energy, and figure out a better way to do things. And, um, it, and it's a very empowering, freeing sort of approach.
4: Exactly. And what is the best way to start to innovate our team members and our colleagues by saying, hey, make your life better. It'll make everybody's life better, as long as it's actually making everybody's better and you're not creating a right. trade-off where someone else is worse for it. You know would it help, I mean, how likely is this
2: to be able to do this sort of innovation in all areas? I mean, this takes time, commitment. Did they say three years that they were working on well, it? Well, they've
0: been working on it for three years. They, by the way, they've been working on a lot of different projects simultaneously. Right. This one happened to have, because of how complicated it was, it, it took that long. Uh, but innovation, as Jennifer started off in the beginning, can be quite simple, quite small. A lot of it really has to do with a cultural mindset. That's why Roger said, the culture has to change. I mean, you have to, you have to have a culture. We talked about this before, where leaders understand the difference between the authority that's in their position, mm-hmm. and the fact that responsibility is shared. Basically, it's an experiment with the front line. So, if it's an experiment, how are you going to let people experiment, which is innovate, uh, on little things and big things? Because if you can figure that out, the return on that investment in time and so forth with them is huge.
2: Very interesting topic and, and a pretty cool thing to get to go see it in person. Again, we're going to provide that link because you really have to see this to get the full grasp of that. Now, for all of our listeners, you can listen to us every Friday live. Uh, if you want to go back and see more shows though, Jennifer,
4: where do they go? com slash podcast. There you go.
0: And dialogue is spelled... <laughs> D I A L O G U E. Don't forget the the G U E at the end.
4: Yes, it is the English spelling. It's the English spelling. As opposed
0: to a dialogue box like on the computer. Gotcha. (laughs)
2: Let's go with Old English spelling. There you go. It's all good. And it's good to have everyone back together. This yeah. Is this, yeah, it's, it works when we're all three in the same yeah, room. Yeah, it's all good at the, the OK Corral. The gang's all
4: here. And hey, who knows where the conversation will lead Anytime you join <laughs> exactly. the show. Courtesy of Ben Sawyer, everybody. <laughs> Thanks
2: so much. Things I never thought of and will always be wondering again. <laughs> we appreciate our audience and also to our producer, Trey, for putting this together. And we hope to see you next time on Leader Dialogue. This is Duffy Dixon with Business Radio X. Thanks, Duffy.